Good morning, you guys can uh, take a seat, please. I'll have to take a seat to reach this. There we go. All right, welcome, welcome. Uh, thank you for coming to Free Church today. We're wrapping up, um, we're not wrapping up summer. People are always like, fall's coming. And I say, no, technically, it uh, doesn't end uh, until August or September 19th. So the first day of fall, I think, is September 20th. We still have one month of summer, um, and let's, let's stretch it out as long as we can. However, um, people go back to school. And um, some of you, I saw Jacob. Are you here, Jacob? Yeah, are you going, are you leaving this week? Friday, okay. Uh, I want to, I want we actually come up here. I want to pray for you, if that's okay. Um, is Mia here? Yeah. Mia, you come up too. Cool. Uh, Zion, Abby, you guys want to come up here? These guys are all leaving for college here this week, probably, right? Mia, are you leaving too? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so no. you stay, yeah, wherever you want to be. So, yeah, Mia's going to Grand Canyon. Jacob's going to Grand Canyon. Oh, you guys are going to become friends. Okay, and then, um, yeah, and then uh, Zion's going to New Hope. Uh, Abby's going to be going to Lane Community College, and so these guys are, are leaving this week. We actually don't know when Zion and Abby are leaving. Like, we're like, are, are you guys going to leave yet or what? Um, so hopefully their apartment comes available this week. Either way, he's going to school this coming week. So um, be praying for our, our college students, those who are here, those who are not. This is a huge transition. These are ones that are leaving. We have many that stay also. Uh, Emily, I know you start school, but you're just going to Mammoth, so that doesn't count. Like, we could throw a rock. We could throw a rock to you. Oh, you can come up and be prayed for, too. Get all you can. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Emily is going to be going to a, a church in Mammoth, and so we're not going to be seeing her as much uh, lately either because she, she's going to um, stay local and be with some students on campus in church and going to a great church there. So, okay. So, she'll, yeah, she'll, she'll pop in from time to time. So um, could you guys, I know that we, we've had you pray for different things, but could you uh, extend your hands this way, pray for these young people, these young adults as they're getting ready to, to go to school. So uh, God, bless Mia uh, as she goes back to Arizona, Lord. Um, I pray that she would appreciate um, the fact that she's not rained on all fall. God, help Jacob to enjoy the 75-degree weather in December. God, I pray that they would uh, be protected from the enemy, from harm, that they would be filled with your spirit, God, that they would make good relationships and connections, um, that they would have life-changing experiences for good, and that they um, would do well in school, too, Lord Jesus. Bless them, provide for them everything they have. God, for Zion and Abby, I pray you bless them uh, in Eugene, Lord. I pray that they do not return hippies. Um, God, I pray that they would be able to grow and flourish there, Lord Jesus. I pray that this apartment uh, would open up very quickly um, so they could get their stuff out of my house. God, I pray that they would be able to flourish, grow, learn, be provided for. God, provide everything that they need. And Jesus, thank you for Emily. I ask God that she would flourish uh, in the very distant uh, land of Mammoth, Jesus. I pray that she would uh, make great connections and friends there. God bless her at her new church there, Lord Jesus. I pray she will learn and grow in every way, provide all of her needs. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks, guys. You have a seat. So, yeah, you're welcome, Jacob. Um, glad you guys are here. Um, many of us go on vacation uh, in the summer. And actually, I wasn't, um, I didn't really even go on vacation this summer, really, so I'm kind of feeling bad about that. But sometimes we go on vacation uh, at summer. My niece, uh, Caitlin, Spencer's wife, she's on vacation with my sister, Lori, and they're, they're experiencing hurricane in Southern California. So that there just means like two inches of rain, which, which is a lot of rain for one day there in Southern California. Um, the reason I mentioned vacation is because of this. Um, let's say for a moment, if you would, that, that today is Monday and that 
today is the first day of your vacation, and you are going to take a road trip to, let me think of somewhere great, uh, you're going to take a road trip to Mesquite, Texas, because that's where everybody's going. Uh, it's an up-and-coming place. You're taking a road trip to Mesquite, Texas. Um, they have an entire barbecue style named after them. And if you're getting in the car to drive to Mesquite, Texas on Monday morning, there are three truths about that trip. Truth number one, you are going on vacation, right? You are, you're literally going on vacation. You are getting in your car to go on vacation. The truth number two is you're on vacation. So you are going on vacation, you're on vacation, and you know, let's say you're going to be gone for a week, you know you will be on vacation. So, so even though you're on vacation, you're going on vacation, maybe the day before was vacation, it, it's vacation all around. No matter how you look at it, you're vacationing, you're going on vacation, and you will vacation. This is similar to the idea of salvation. Salvation is this idea that God has saved us from our sins through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as Christians, when we receive that free gift of grace that is given by God through faith, when we receive it, we can say we are saved, right? So we are saved because Jesus has saved us. And the Bible calls that term, it calls it um, justified. Justified means that you are made right in the eyes of God. Your sins are forgiven. You now have a relationship with God. We have been saved. We also know as Christians that not only are we saved, but we will be saved. Um, several times in scripture, it says at the final day, at the judgment, we will be saved. And you might say, well, I thought we already were saved. Yes, we, we are saved from our sins and we will be saved. The Bible calls that glorification. It means that we will receive a new body. We will live in a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus reigning and ruling as king. So we are saved. We will be saved. But there's another reality we don't ever talk about. And that's the fact that we are being saved. So we've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We will be saved on that day of judgment. And right now we are being saved. The fact that we are saved, that's justification. The fact that we will be saved, that's glorification. And the fact that we're being saved, that is sanctification. And that's this big Christian word that we don't use much anymore, but to be sanctified, to be sanctified, to experience sanctification, it means that God is continuously changing and saving us from glory to glory. He is changing us. He is conforming us to the image of his son. We are becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And so the last day on earth that you experience as a Christian, you should have matured and grown. You should have moved past spiritual milk, moved on to meat, to solid food, and you are becoming more and more and more and more and more mature. And so you have been saved you're being saved and you will be saved. And I, I say all that because we're going to go into Hebrews chapter 10 today. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews is going to be almost at the very back of your Bible, about 95% into the pages, you're going to find the book of Hebrews. Hebrews uh, is a book we're looking at kind of periodically this summer. Uh, summer is, is a busy, hectic time. And so we can't do real long series where we dig in so deep because everything's so sporadic. Um, but what we're doing is we're breaking the book of Hebrews up into several parts, and each person that speaks on Hebrews is being asked to just reflect on a part that stands out to them. And so we had Ladina open up this series with a look at chapters 1 through 4. 
We then had, um, I then spoke, I believe, on chapters uh, 5 and 6. We had uh, Paula Lehman speak on this. Um, Then we had a beach day. Uh, Then we had our downtown service last week called Call the Called. Um, And we're going to jump back into Hebrews today with a look at chapters 10, 11, and 12. And then next week, we're going to finish up the series with one chapter, chapter 13. And so... um, It has been an incredibly busy couple of weeks. Uh, We had our youth camp this last week. I was there several nights. Um, I had an opportunity to speak at uh, Hope Point's youth camp camp this last week. Um, We're trying to figure out a lot of changes and shifts in our life and home and all these things are going on. And I kept thinking about this message coming up. And we had this this big downtown service last week. And as I kind of just sat down to put my thoughts together on Wednesday in particular and then into Thursday, I was like, God, I don't know what you want me to share. I don't know what you want me to talk about when we're looking through this. But God pointed out um, to me, put on my heart, just basically three ideas that show up in chapter 10. And we're not going to look at um, chapter 11. Um, I encourage you to read chapter 11 on your own. That's what we call the great hall of faith. That's, that's kind of like the easy pickings when it comes to speaking on Hebrews. But today I want to speak on, on chapter 10. And I'm going to give you the three big ideas before we ever get to them. And if you're taking notes, here's the three big ideas in Hebrews chapter 10 that we're going to look at. And um, it starts with the phrase, let us. So not let us, like L-E-T-T-U-C, but let us, L-E-T-U-S. Let us. So we're going to look at this idea of, Let us draw near, number one. Let us hold fast, number two. And then number three, let us consider. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, and let us consider. And so turn with me to chapter 10, verse number one. I'm going to read through verse one, and we're going to go to verse 25. We're going to break it down a little bit on the way, do some exegetical teaching here on the book of Hebrews. And the verses will be on the screen behind me, or if you're watching online, they will be there as well. But I want to read through this with you, and then we'll get to the lettuce at the end. What if lettuce was dessert instead of what you eat first is a salad? So today, the lettuce is the dessert. So Hebrews 10, verse 1. Again, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. We know that it was written to Christians who were likely ethnically Jewish people. They were living throughout the Roman Empire. Um, Some people think Paul wrote this, some think Barnabas wrote this, some think Luke wrote this. Personal opinion, I think it was Paul, but we we just don't know who wrote this book. Either way, the Holy Spirit guides them to read or to write this book. So written to Jewish Christians in the Roman Empire before the year 70 AD, and the entire idea of this book is that Jesus is better. 25 times in the book of Hebrews it says Jesus is better, he's greater, he's more. And so let's look at verse 1 of chapter 10. It says, Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, the law can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. There's that phrase, draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased? Would those sacrifices not have ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. 
And so here, Hebrews says, it's showing us the superiority of Jesus to the law. Now, we know that the law was pointing to Christ. The law was preparing us for Christ. The law especially showed us our need for Christ. And the sacrifices that were made by priests on behalf of the people at the temple never actually forgave anybody's sins. All those sacrifices did, those sacrifices just pointed out the need for someone to do away with sin. Those sacrifices pointed out the need for a perfect sacrifice. Really what the sacrifices did is it really reminded people constantly that they were sinners, which was actually the point. So verse 5 says this, Consequently, when Jesus came into the world, Jesus said, and in verse 5, the author of Hebrews does something that I believe only happens three other times in the New Testament. He's going to say something that Jesus said that we don't have any record of Jesus saying, meaning it's not in the Gospels. But what the author of Hebrews is going to do is he is going to quote a verse from Psalm chapter 40, 1,000 years before Jesus. There is this messianic psalm, this psalm about the coming Savior, and the author of Hebrews is applying this to Jesus, presuming, assuming that Jesus declared this a thousand years before he was ever born through Psalms and maybe actually said it while he walked the earth. And so he quotes Psalms 40, and this is what he is saying, what is the author is saying Jesus said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Again, applying this to Jesus. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, and again, attributed to Jesus, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. So the author of Hebrews in verse 8, he writes, when Jesus said this, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. But then he added, Jesus added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Verse 9 says, Jesus does away with the first, the first sacrificial system. Jesus does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. How many of you are grateful you don't have to or have someone on your behalf sacrifice goats or bulls for you? For all your sins. That's a lot of goats. That's a lot of bull. You know what I'm saying? Um, that, that's a lot. See, what we learn here is that the law was fulfilled in Christ. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. And with just one single sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for sin, with just one sacrifice, the Son of God become flesh. Jesus says, you have given me a body. With this one perfect sacrifice, as opposed to countless goats and bulls being sacrificed with one sacrifice jesus is sanctifying those he has saved making them perfect those who have been justified those who have been saved by grace through faith they are being sanctified they are being perfected they're being made perfect by jesus christ and you say well pastor when will i ever be perfect and i would say never in this life but one day we will be glorified. We will be made like him. We will become like him. We won't be gods like him, but we will worship him in the flesh as God. There are some Christian denominations that teach that you can fully be sanctified. And um, if you have that figured out, um, you're, you're lying. <laughs> you haven't figured that out. 
there's no one here that is fully sanctified and fully without sin. I think that we sin daily, if not hourly. So verse 11 of chapter 10, he says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, Christ sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. There's a funny play on words. He says, for a single time with a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those he is perfecting. It's like, well, which is it? Are they perfected? Will they be perfect or are they being perfected? And the answer is yes. Jesus did it. He's doing it. He will do it. And he did it with one sacrifice. When Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, he actually meant it. When he said it is finished, that means that one single sacrifice sufficed and satisfied the wrath of God for the sins of the entire world. That one sacrifice forgave past sin. That one sacrifice forgave my sin that I am committing and that one sacrifice forgives my sins that I will commit in the future. And so what this means is that we can stop working for our salvation. We can quit trying to earn our salvation. We can quit striving to be saved because Jesus has already done the work of our salvation. He's already purchased our salvation with his blood. And because Jesus was perfect, because he was the perfect sacrifice, and because he has taken care of my sin and your sin, when we receive this grace by faith, we're made righteous. We're made perfect. We can stand before God upon our judgment and the judgment Christ received on my behalf will be enough. I love Catholics and I believe that there are many Catholics who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who have been saved by grace through faith, but I have a strong disagreement because it's not in the Bible with purgatory because if there is a purgatory that Christians have to go to to work off their sin after they have died, then the sacrifice of Jesus Christ means nothing. It's enough. Jesus' sacrifice for you is enough upon your life and upon your death. It is all that we need. And if your religion or if your denomination or if your cult tells you that you have to earn your salvation or if you've got to work off your sin, it is not Christianity. Christianity is something that is given by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus is all that we need. He is sufficient. He is enough. And he said it is finished. It just is. And so in this life, this one act of Jesus Christ is enough. With this one act of Christ and with his spirit dwelling within us, he's perfecting us. He's sanctifying us until the day he returns. It happened, it's happening, and it will happen. And so then the author of Hebrews says, after Jesus offered this perfect sacrifice to the Father, Christ then returned to the Father. And it says that he sat down at his right hand. And right now as Jesus Christ, you say, Pastor, where is Jesus now? Well, Jesus is in paradise, he tells us on the cross. Jesus is in paradise. Jesus right now has a physical body. We never talk about that, but he has a resurrected physical body right now. And right now, where Jesus is literally is he is sitting on a throne next to his father. And he is sitting on that throne as people who sit on thrones do. He is there and he is reigning and ruling as 
king. That's when Jesus, when he came, that's why he said the kingdom of God, it has come. Jesus right now is reigning and ruling over his kingdom. And he has already secured the victory over all of his enemies, over Satan, over sin, over hell, and over death. And at the appointed time, Jesus, the king, he will return. He will return and he will throw death itself into the lake of fire. He will throw all those awaiting judgment in what the Bible calls Hades into the lake of fire. He will return and he will throw the devil and all of the devil's angels who hell was created for into the lake of fire. And all of the enemies of Jesus Christ will be made his footstool at that appointed time. You say, well, that's strange. But just imagine our enemies under the feet of Jesus Christ. In Genesis chapter 3, as God himself declares judgment over Adam and Eve and the devil, he gives this what we call the proto-evangelion, this pre-gospel. God says one day there will be a son that will come forth from a woman who will have his heel bruised, but even though his heel will be bruised, that son of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. The serpent was always meant to be under the feet of those who had dominion over this earth. And the only one who truly has dominion over this earth is Christ himself. And so one day Jesus will crush forever the head of the serpent. You might say, well, why not yet? Why hasn't this happened? Why, why are we still doing this every day? Couldn't Jesus return right now? Couldn't he stand up off of the right hand of the Father and come down and kick the devil's butt forever? Couldn't he come and take care of all this right now? And, and the word is absolutely he could. But then there's this weird parable that Jesus tells that he doesn't want to rip out the wheat with the wheat. You see, there are people, there are thousands, I believe millions, possibly countless millions of people yet to hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am happy to wait as long as it takes for as many as will come to Jesus Christ. We are here waiting because there are still people to reach. There are still people Jesus is calling to himself. And at the right time, and I don't know when that time is, at the right time, Christ will return. How many of you wish it was today? Yeah. But how many of you wish it would be longer? Yeah, because there's more. There's more to reach. There's more to save. There's more to heal. There should be a tension of wanting Jesus to return. Like Paul said, for me to die is... Uh, is gain, but to live, it's Christ. I, I want to die and I want to be with Jesus in paradise, but there's also so many people to reach. So verse 15, the author of Hebrews says, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. And what he's going to do now is he's going to quote a scripture written 700 years before in the book of Jeremiah. He's going to quote Jeremiah 31. And the author of Hebrews says, the Holy Spirit wrote the Old Testament. By saying this, he's also telling us the Holy Spirit wrote this. It's fascinating that this is the only book we don't know who wrote. And he says, oh, the Holy Spirit writes the Bible. And so the Holy Spirit says in Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write the laws on their minds. And then the Holy Spirit adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Isn't it fascinating that multiple times in the Bible it says Jesus does not remember our sins, but how much the enemy wants to remind us of our sins, how much our own flesh tries to remind us of our sins, and how much our own sinful, bitter flesh likes to remind other people of their sins. You see, if someone's trying to remind you of your sin, if someone is holding your past sin that you have repented of 
of your sin, that is satanic. That is what the devil does. The devil is the accuser of the believers, the brethren. And so if you've got people wanting to accuse you all the time as a Christian, they are mouthpieces of the devil, and you've got to stand on this fact that Jesus remembers our sins or our lawless deeds no more. And as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sins from us. They're buried in a sea of forgetfulness. And if Jesus died on the cross for our sins, then Jesus died on the cross for our sins, or he didn't. But my sins are nailed to the cross with Christ. I no longer live. Jesus Christ lives in me. And so what we find out is there's no more sacrifice that's needed. Jesus is the better sacrifice. He's all we need. And he references Jeremiah. He attributes Jeremiah to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit who writes the law on our heart and on our mind. And so we know that the law was fulfilled through Jesus The law was always pointing to Jesus. And when we receive the grace of Jesus, when we're born again, when we are made new, when we're given a new heart and a new nature, what happens is the Holy Spirit comes and abides inside of our hearts and he writes the law on our heart and on our mind. Say, I didn't see that when I received a seat scan or however they look at your heart. No, you didn't. But that's because what the Holy Spirit does inside of a Christian is makes it so a Christian desires to please God. If you're a Christian, you desire to please God. As a Christian, does it mean you always please God? It does not mean that. But it means as a Christian, your desire is to please God, and your desire is to abstain from sin. That's what it means when the law is written on our heart. We desire to please God. We desire to abstain from sin. A dead, unbelieving, sold out to the devil, sinful degenerate person who's never put their faith in Jesus doesn't desire to please God. But a Christian desires to please God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it says he writes the law on our mind. That means that when we sin, what does the Holy Spirit do? He convicts us. A Christian is convicted of sin and is drawn to repent of their sin and to turn back to Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit is perfecting us. He's working in us. He's writing his law on our heart, making us more like Jesus. And as this starts to wrap up, this big idea that the author of Hebrews is writing, we get to chapter 10, verse 19 through 21. 1921, he's going to say, therefore, so because all this stuff, because Jesus is better, because Jesus is greater, because Jesus finished it all, because Jesus is all we need, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. What he's saying is this, when when Jesus died on the cross, he was the sacrifice. Jesus was the high priest who entered into the holy of holies. And the gospels record that when Jesus died at the moment of his death, that the curtain that separated man from God, the curtain that a high priest could only go through once a year, that curtain that separated the world from God was torn in two from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that God alone could do it and did do it. And so because Jesus has made a way, Jesus has offered for all time one sacrifice. We don't need a priest to do it anymore. Because of everything we have just been taught, verse 22, because of these things, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true 
heart. Let us draw near in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. How are our hearts sprinkled clean? By the blood of Jesus Christ. How are our hearts sprinkled clean? Because the law is written on our hearts. How do we not have a guilty conscience? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Because of these things and because our bodies have been washed with pure water. How many of you guys washed your bodies with water this morning? Women are like, it's not good for your hair to shower every day. And that's why you smell. (laughs) It, It takes the good oils out of your hair. Okay. I shower daily. Um, Just as I die daily to my sin, I shower daily as well. And so our bodies, it says, washed with pure water. This is is an allusion, or he's pointing to baptism. You've been baptized. You've you've been cleansed. Just like a priest would would cleanse themselves before entering the temple, God has cleansed you through Jesus Christ, and you have reflected that. You've shown that through baptism in water. So Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way for us to God. Jesus actually said he is the way. You and I have access to God. We can draw near to God with full assurance. We can go boldly before the throne of grace. As Hebrews chapter 4 says, we don't need a priest to go for us. You don't need to confess your sins to a priest. You don't need to go to confession. You don't need a priest to pray on your behalf. I am happy to pray for any of you with any of you, but you don't need me as a pastor to pray for you. It's good that we pray together, but you have direct access to God. You've got a direct line to God. It doesn't take a church, a pastor, a priest, or a religion to allow you to talk to God. The only thing that allows you and makes it possible for you to talk to God, his name is Jesus Christ, and he has paved a way for you to have full access to go boldly before the throne of grace. You don't need a saint to pray to. If you want traveling mercies, you don't need to pray to St. Anthony. If you want to pray for your sick pet, you don't need to pray to St. Francis. You don't need to pray to saints. You don't need to pray to Mary so she can talk to her son on your behalf. You and I can talk to Christ one-on-one, face-to-face, with the power of his spirit. You have access to God. You can go boldly before the throne of grace. You can talk to God. This is what prayer is. This is what we have as Christians. We have access to God. So quit living in guilt. Quit living in shame. Quit living in condemnation. Instead, experience the freedom that exists in the presence of God. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. If you would enter in, if you have confidence, let us draw near and experience this freedom. You have access to God. And because of this, we invite others to experience the same thing. So let us draw near. Number two, because of all this stuff, because of what Jesus has done, let us hold fast. Oh, this also appears in Genesis chapter 2. When God is performing the ceremony for Adam and Eve at their wedding, it says that they would hold fast to one another. Hold fast, become one flesh. Hold fast, it means hold on tight. Hold fast, it means cling, literally is what it means, cling to one another. But here, we're told to cling to the confession of our hope. Hold on tight to the confession of our hope without wavering because the God who promised is faithful. And so here the author tells us once we've received the love of God, once we've received the sacrifice of Christ, once we've experienced the grace of God, once we have the full assurance to draw near to God with this confidence, without any condemnation, let us never forget. Let us hold fast. Let us hold on tight. Let us stand firm against whatever comes our way. Let us not lose hope because Jesus is our only hope We have no need to doubt Jesus because he has never let us down and because he will never let us down. Let us hold 
on tight. So draw near and hold tight. Draw near and hold tight. When you draw near, we have a tendency to draw away. And when we start to feel like we've drawn away, hold on tight and draw near again. Keep standing on these promises. The world's going to come at you. The devil's going to come at you. Depression's going to come at you. Anxiety is going to come at you. Really bad stuff is going to come at you. But Jesus says, in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. We have to hold on to that. On your worst day, if you have no anchor to cling to, you will be sunk. You must have something to hold on to in times of trial. Some of you, the only reason you've made it out to where you are today or the only reason you've made it out alive, period, the only reason is because you had a hope to cling on to. And even though you wanted to end it, even though you wanted to quit, even though you wanted to surrender, even though some of you wanted to kill yourself, wanted to overdose, wanted to drink yourself to death, there was something in you. It's the Holy Spirit that just said, hold on tight. I've got you. You need an anchor for your soul. So hold fast. Let us hold fast. And here's the final one. The final one is this. Because of all these things, draw near, hold fast, and let us consider. It's almost like left open for interpretation if we didn't dig in real deeper. Like, let us consider. Consider what? He doesn't say, let us do this. He says, let us consider. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us consider how to stir up one another in love. Let us consider how to stir up one another with good works. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. In fact, don't just encourage one another The closer you get to eternity, the closer we get to the end of all things, the closer we get to the world falling apart, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, that doesn't mean stop encouraging each other. It actually means encourage each other even more. So these three things, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us go to church. This is a part of our sanctification. We're being perfected. That's what this entire passage is about. We're being sanctified when we draw near to Christ. We're being sanctified when we hold tight to our faith. We're being sanctified when we interact with the body of Christ. And if we work backwards, here's what I've noticed in my life and in the lives of countless people I've ministered to over the decades, is that if you're not in community, if you're not in the body of Christ, if you're not in church, it gets really hard to hold fast. Because here's the deal. Sometimes you can't hold fast. I don't know if I theologically agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Sometimes you can't hold fast, and you need other people to hold fast for you. You you need people that can hold on when you're ready to bail. You need people who can grab the pills from you before you take them. You need someone who can talk you down from leaving your spouse when you're about to walk out the door. Sometimes you can't hold fast, but the church allows you to allow other people to hold fast for you. And you say, that's codependency. No, it's not. It is leaning, co-leaning. It is, it is co-regulating. It's co-sharing. It's co-doing life. It's, it's co-worshiping. It's always, it's always good to be together. It's always not good. I don't know if you can draw near to Christ if you don't draw near to others because others are made in the image of Christ. And Jesus said when we offer someone cold water in his name, we're giving it to him. When we visit someone, we're visiting him. I don't know how we can draw near without being near to other people because when we draw near to Jesus, 
Jesus says, if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. If we're near to Jesus, it's going to draw people near to us. And when people are near to Jesus, it's going to draw us to them. We must do this together. So he's saying, because of all we know, you've got to make church a priority. It's all a part of our sanctification. And I want to tell you a statement that is absolute truth. It's this. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but if you are a Christian, you're the church. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but if you are a Christian, then you are a part of the church. And while you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, you need to go to church because you are a Christian. Say, well, I don't need church to have a relationship with God. Kind of right. Yeah, I'll give you that. But if you have a relationship with God, then you have to go to church. It's who you are. It's actually what you are. You see, the Western world modernism has, has destroyed this idea because in the Western world, we've been taught that everything about our lives is everything about us. It's all about your individuality. It's all about what I want, me, I, what, whatever I want, whatever I want to do, whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me happy. And so I have my own personal space and my personal bubble. And so I keep my faith in Jesus private. The disciples couldn't keep this private. Peter tried didn't work out so well. Our faith in Jesus Christ is not meant to be something that is personal. It is meant not to be private. It is meant to be lived out in public. It is meant to be lived out in community. And so, Christians, what are you? Christians, you are the church. Christians go to church. Christians gather as the church. Christians serve as the church. Christians are on mission as the church. Christians serve one another in the church Christians show love to one another in the church. Christians find community in the church. Christians build relationship in the church. Christians find family in the church. How, how real you want me to be? This city is a weird place. This, this region that we live in, is, it's, it's not real tiny, but it's not real big. But the thing about our region that we as Christians have to understand is that there's not a lot of Christians here. There's not a lot of churches you and I live in the least church region of our nation. You are an anomaly in our region for being in church today. You're weird. There's not many people like you in our city. And because there's not a lot of churches and because there's not a lot of Christians, what happens is people get mad at one church in our city and they go to another church. Or, or they go and they, they, they do something in another church and they realize, I like this thing about this church. And so I'm going to leave my other church and I'm going to go to this church. But the thing about people that leave this church and go to that church is in a couple of years, they're going to get tired of this church and they're going to go to another one. And a lot of times they come back full circle. What are we doing? You see, pastors in this city, I think to some extent, and we need to stand in solidarity with one another and realize that God has given us each an assignment over a local body, over a local church. And as a pastor, I actually have to look at you like I'm, I'm a father figure in your life. And a, God has called me to shepherd you, to protect you, to lead and to guide you and to really protect you from harm. And I just want to say, if, like, if you're here because you're mad at your last church, go work it out at your last church. Please, please. It doesn't make sense. If somebody invites, if, if a single mom invites my wife and I over to dinner at her house and, and we eat with her and, and, and I go home and I'm like, you know what, the, the single mom that invited us over for dinner, I like her cooking better than yours. And um, I'm actually going to leave you, and that's now my house, and she's now my wife. We all do that with the church constantly. Well, right now, 
this church has a really great worship leader. Right now, this church has a really cool fog machine. Right now, this church has a really great teacher. Right now, this church, there, there's somebody that serves in kids' church at this church that I don't really like, and, and I don't know the people here, and so I don't know about their flaws yet, and so I don't dislike them yet. Oh, you will. You'll dislike them once you learn their flaws. Because the problem isn't other people. The problem is us. The problem is our bitterness. The problem is our brokenness. The problem is our unforgiveness. And so find a family of faith. Find a family. If your mom, when you were growing up, if your mom chose your younger brother to do the chore that you like to do at your house, did you leave your house and go find another family? I can name 10 people who left our church this year because of that. And they're doing it at every single church. I'm jealous. I'm offended. I'm bothered. I'm there. It's not about us. It's not about, I'm not here for me. I'm not here for, for just what, I'm here for, for God. I'm here because there's people to reach in a city. I'm not here to get offended and jealous. Well, I don't like how you're not going to like wherever you go. The church is God's plan A for going into the world and making. The church is where we take communion. The church is where we pray for each other. The church is where we celebrate baptism. The church is where we dedicate babies. The church is where we worship corporately. The church is where we are equipped for the work of the ministry by prophets, teachers, pastors, apostles, and evangelists. The church is where we cry for people when they cry. The church is a place where we rejoice when people there are people I've cried with you, I've rejoiced with you, and I guarantee you I'll offend you one. I promise. And you've offended me. I promise. Who cares? It's not, are we so petty? Do we not remember that Jesus died once and for all for sin? That like, we can't get along because somebody offended you once? How many times has your wife offended you, man? Don't, don't answer that. How many times has your husband offended you, ladies? It's okay. You can just go at it. Yeah. A lot. You don't leave your spouse because they offended you. The church is where we are held accountable. And oftentimes, once people are held accountable, they're like, uh, I'm out, I'm out. I, I'm, I was cool with judging other people, but I don't want to be held accountable. The church is where we're shepherded. The church is where we're cared for. The church is where we're protected. The church is where we are nourished. The church is where we are taught. The church is where your kids need to be raised. Sports are amazing. Sports are good. But sports will not get your kids into heaven. Sports will not get your kids into a godly marriage someday. And if your kids aren't in church, they're not going to go to church when they're adults. The chances are extremely small. The church is where you bring your full tithe so that the needs of the church institution and body, we've got to be the church. Don't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as you see the world going to hell. We need to be stirring each other up. We need to be meeting together more, not less. The world has completely descended into madness. And I don't want to be without the church in this mad world that's hell-bent on going. I need you. you. You need each other. The world doesn't like the church. The enemy hates the church. The devil is intimidated by the church, and the church has got to stick. And if we're not on board, if we're not all in, if we're not serving, if we're not giving, if we're not encouraging, if we're not respecting, what are we doing? The Bible says people will know we are Christians by our love. That's true, but that's not full context. The Bible says the world will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. Not your love for the world, that's good, but the world will know Christians by our love for one another. How are you loving your brothers and sisters in Christ? Right? We've got to do 
But God wants us to be. So let us draw. Let us hold fast. And let us consider how to meet more, not less. Caleb, if you could dim our lights. And Michael, if you want to come up and start leading us in song. This is our friend Michael leading you in worship earlier. Michael used to lead worship for us about seven, eight years ago when we were on market in Lancaster. And he's, he's blessed us this summer by helping us lead a couple of times and see him after our service. Let him know you appreciate him. Thank him. We call him Michael Lawrence. Um, it's, it's his full name, Michael Lawrence. And so he's a, he's a great guy. Um, he's a blessing to our community, and I, I appreciate him leading us. And it's cool to have an acoustic set today. And uh, our friend Talek, it's CMB on that box. And um, so I want you just to sing your guts out here in a second. Let's worship together. Let's go interact with each other. Let's eat together. Um, let's go just into a time of reflection and prayer and maybe some ministry. I had a, um, this last Sunday, I'm not sure if you um, joined us or not, but last Sunday we had the opportunity to meet and gather as a church at uh, the Reed Opera House in downtown Salem. And we were in the ballroom on the third floor in a building that's 154 years old. And there were windows surrounding uh, this entire large room that we were in that we could look out over the downtown region of our city. And we'd met all this last year um, at a, a great place that was a blessing to meet at. is the, the Ike Box, uh, close to the new YMCA. But this time we were in the, the Reed Opera House, and it was kind of the, the, literally the center of the downtown part of our city. And it was a good time. We worshipped. We, we had a good message. Um, but, but here's something I noticed. Um, what I noticed was we had people just literally leave everything they were doing while walking around downtown and walk upstairs and sat down and heard the gospel. That would never happen at this. It was to be very unusual for someone to be like wandering, wandering through our parking lot. But we were in the core of our city, and someone, no, no, actually, multiple, multiple people just, not just came and checked it out, but came and like, oh, we'll, we'll actually sit down for the entire service here and listen and worship. And, and the entire time I was speaking, I watched as dozens of people walked up and peeked in to see, like, what, what was going on. And it was never like, oh, the ch- oh this, is, this is interesting. And then we had this block party afterwards in the alley behind, and I, that was just kind of like a cool little afterthought. But I didn't think that that would be such a success. Um, again, having dozens of people come and dance with us. If you're a religious person that struggles with dancing, there's gonna be dancing in heaven. Better get used to it. Um, and dancing and pizza and ice cream and people of literally every kind, every age, every type, every kind is came and were together. And I was a little concerned about this service. We've been we've been raising money to do these outreaches and to meet downtown, and we're not raising all the funds that we need. But God showed. Uh, me, while we were there, like, this this is where you're supposed to, because this is a place that you can reach. And God started to show me what was possible, like, this is the season of open doors that we've been talking about. And at one point, there was uh, a family that lived in some loft that was near us, the Reed Opera House, and they came and they asked at our, our block party, like, are, are you the group that was at the, the Reed Opera House on the ballroom doing music? We heard the music, and we came to find out what it was, and like, can, can we hang out here? Like, that was cool that you were doing that. And so, we have an opportunity to, um, in an upper room in a city that's a very much a thoroughfare to worship and praise and preach, and, and people around will hear and people around will, will come. As we were cleaning up, I was talking with uh, Kristen and Caleb, and there was a, um, this, a person that was really tormented walking around the city screaming and yelling, and I, I, started, I started to listen to what he was yelling and screaming as he was going about, 
<coughs> and he was, he was yelling and screaming about what I had just preached about, actually. Um, say, well, did he hear it? I don't think so. There was, people are tormented sometimes by evil spirits, and evil doesn't like it when people come and proclaim and, and preach the gospel. So people are drawn, and the enemy rises up. And it's an interesting place. There's an in, it's an interesting facility with lots of interesting businesses. Um, sometimes when you go into an area that God's called you to go into, you kind of kick a hornet's nest, and um, you get stung. That's all right. Um, you still got to be faithful. You still keep plugging in, connecting, growing, serving, sharing the gospel. And so I want to invite you over these next couple of months, pray for us as we continue to try to, to reach our city, not just this particular neighborhood. And there are opportunities that are there that if we can just do that one time, if we do that every single week for several weeks, the momentum would be pretty uh, amazing. And I'd love to see here grow, worship, express, get connected. And you need to be a part of that. That's what we've been called to do. Go make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations. But let's start in our own city. And so next week, um, we're going to meet here at Sunnyside. 10 a.m., it's our, it's our uh, final, just one uh, service here um, for the, the summer. So 10 a.m. next Sunday on September 3rd. That's Labor Day. We're not having church September 3rd. Um, just going to relax, rest, encourage you guys to connect and interact together. But then on September 10th, we'll be downtown one more time as our only space that we'll be meeting that week. September the 10th, 5 p.m., uh, third floor of the Reed Opera House in the ballroom. And if you could please, when you leave today, there's like a little rack of cards in the back. There are invites to our downtown service. If you could take five of those, please, if you take five of those, give those to five people and say, I'd like you to come with me. I'd like you to join me. You'll be surprised how many people will do just that. We'll come with you to church. And so invite people. Um, join us downtown. Again, we're going to have a block party. We're going to have a DJ. We're going to have uh, ice cream, food, but we're going to worship. We're going to celebrate. And then on the 17th is when we kind of start our new year. And on the 17th, we're going to go back to having two services every Sunday, but the second service will be in downtown Salem. So first service will be every morning here at 10, um, starting September the 17th. And then the second one will be downtown. I'm not giving a place because I don't know where we're meeting yet. <laughs> and I'm not giving a time because I don't know what time. It'll be either 5 or 6 p.m. But I do know on September 10th it will be at 5 p.m. And so come, invite people, enjoy, worship, celebrate. Would you stand? I'm going to pray over us. Uh, Michael's going to lead us in a song as we close out. And Zion and Abby will dismiss us in a minute and give you some instruction about our food. But let's pray. God, we just sit here in your presence under the reading of your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you're more, that you're greater, that you're enough, that it's finished, that it's done. Jesus, thank you that I don't have to strive or work or try to earn anything because you gave it all. God, salvation is free and by faith, but it wasn't free because it cost you everything. Thank you, Jesus, for not just being the perfect sacrifice and for dying, but thank you for living. Thank you for being a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weakness. Thank you, Jesus, that you were tempted in every way, but you did not sin. Thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection. Thank you for your victory over Satan, sin, hell, and death. And Jesus, right now, we, we wait in your presence. We wait with your spirit in our heart. We fight the good fight from the victory you've already won, looking forward to the final victory. God, your word says that the final enemy is death. And Jesus, you defeated death upon your resurrection, and one day death will be thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus, we look forward in faith to that day of salvation, where sin will forever be taken care of, 
the devil will forever have his roaring mouth shut and that we can truly be who you've created us to be. God, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you, I ask in Jesus' name that they would put faith in what you've done for them, trusting in you for their salvation. God, for those of us not drawing near, let us draw near, God. Help us to draw near to you. Remind us of the access we have to you. Remove the condemnation, the shame, and the guilt so we can come freely before you. God, for those of us who are not holding fast, who are giving up, help us to hold on tight. And God, when we can't hold on any longer, surround us with people who will hold on for us. God, I pray that each person here would find a church that they could be committed to, connected with, be family with, serve in, grow in, learn in, be accountable in, give in, be on mission with God. doesn't matter to me if it's this church, but help each person here find a church that has called upon you to be saved and knit every church in our city together as family and as brothers and sisters. Thank you, God, that the church can be a place where we have faults and our faults find, find all of their help and fulfillment that they need. So, God, we stand before you as messed up, broken people. God, forgive our offenses and forgive those who have offended us. Mostly, let us forgive. Let us reconcile. Let us heal. Let us grow. Jesus, let's worship. If you'd like prayer today, myself, some of our pastors will be up here. I'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you as we sing. And you can stay as long as you'd like here for prayer after we dismiss. But sing and worship and press in.